I've technically been to LA, but never been to LA. Like I'd been there a couple times, but only for a few hours at a time, literally flying in and out the same day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this was a uh, like five full days to actually explore the city. And you know, my preconceptions or my stereotypes of LA were partially confirmed, but partially disconfirmed. And I ended up liking LA more than I thought I would. So here we are. Yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah. It, it sucks, but. <laughs> Welcome to episode 415 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, how you doing, my buddy? <sighs> Man, last week off was wonderful. Yeah, nice recharge. It was a great recharge. Thanks, everyone, for uh, allowing us to take these breaks every now and again. You know, in the past, Marshall, I think basically the first five years of the podcast, we were really, really hesitant to take a week off. Like, we were almost religious with the schedule. But I would say in the last year, you and I have kind of relaxed that a bit. And we're taking a few more breaks, a week off here and there when we really need it, certainly around holidays. And it's made this feel a lot more sustainable. Mm -hmm. So anyways, last week off, really needed recharge. But here we go. We got a good outline for y'all today. Before we get into it, huge shout out to Plume. Plume is empowering a billion smart devices at home and small businesses through a suite of adaptive Wi-Fi, AI security, and parental controls. A billion devices. And they're hiring product designers to build the future of their smart home services. They're looking for product designers with two to five years of experience. You can learn more at designdetails.fm slash plume. Thanks, plume. We're also supported this week by Play. Hey. 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 We talked about Play last week. Play is the first native iOS design tool, and they are releasing more invites to their product. It's a tool for product teams to experience their design as they create it directly on their device while taking full advantage of native iOS features not found in any other design or prototyping tool. So if you're designing a mobile product, you should learn more about Play at createwithplay.com. Thanks, Play. Thanks, Play. We also have some new VIPs, very important pixels. Hey. Welcome to the fam. Richard Keenan, Chris Mack, Liz Goodwin, Dakota Sumner, Zachary Sanderson-Harris, Amandine, Jared Price, Oleg Panachev, and Roxana Coral. Corral. Uh, you almost made it, Brian. This, this would have been the first time. <laughs> I think it might be Coral, but uh, Brian, I thought you were going to get it first take all the way through. Uh. First time, first try, no deaths. But oh, yeah, yeah, stumbled at the finish line. Well, it was worth it for the VIPs. It was worth <laughs> it for the VIPs. Thanks, everyone, for supporting the show. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Be sure to catch your first sidebar this week. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that listeners like you, just like you, come together every single week and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash design details. And in return, you get access to a bonus episode every single week. We call it the Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. Sidebar is supporter-only content. It's a double episode, double content every week. This week, we're talking about how to remember things. But in past weeks, we've done event recaps. We've talked about loading states and all sorts of extra little design topics. Yeah. So if you want double episodes in your feed every single week, head to patreon.com slash design details 
where for just a buck a month, just a buck a month, just a buck a month, you can get access to that supporter only content. Once again, that's patreon.com slash design details. All right, Marshall. So two weeks ago, we talked about memorable software moments and we asked listeners if they had any memorable software moments of their own. And we got some good replies. Some ones that we missed. Yeah. Oh, big ones we missed. Here was the first one where I was like, oh, shit. We definitely should have thought of that. Yeah, I felt guilty immediately after I read this. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, I should have thought of this one. Don't know how we missed it. Yeah. Ramiro Ruiz tweeted, I think the last one was while using FigJam. So many great features like adding components. And that reminded me of Cursor Chat. Cursor Chat. God dang Ugh. it. Cursor Chat. It's yeah. really cool. It's really and good. And... I remember when everyone on Twitter was freaking out about cursor chat and I use it now. I've used it. It's delightful. It's still delightful when you use it and have like a mini conversation with people directly in Figma. You know my one gripe with it, Brian? The character limit, man. Line the character length. limit. Wrap my lines for me, please. It, it should just be unlimited. Yeah. Or at least like 256. Just wrap it. Let it go big. But like, let me keep typing. Don't make me like get halfway through a word and then hit enter. And then I don't know if they saw that last line. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It could use a little bit of polish there for like the way people are actually using it, which is having a conversation when they're not on the audio feature or not on a Zoom call or something. So if you're trying to chat, just let us chat. It's my only gripe though. Only gripe. Mm -hmm. Good one. We also heard from Conley Raider who talked about Dispo's onboarding. Says, Dispo onboarding was delightful. Unboxing your camera by knocking over the bag. Same with opening my first Dispo dump. I haven't used Dispo. I don't know about this. Dispo was the app created by the YouTuber, that one YouTuber, and it kind of took over Twitter for like 48 hours. And I think the, the hook was you could take pictures with your camera or your phone, but they sort of simulated the experience of using a disposable camera where you couldn't look at the pictures you'd taken until later on. So mm. I think there was maybe a 24-hour waiting period. I don't know, I'm getting all this wrong, but loosely you had to wait before you could see your photos. And so I think that's what Connolly's saying here with opening their first dispo dump is after that first threshold you're, where you're able to view your photos, I guess that was an exciting moment. So hmm. we missed that. Yeah. <laughs> We also heard from Ugo Seretu on our Patreon, who talked about some really good ones. Man, I don't know. Maybe we should just spend a whole episode on memorable Apple software moments. But Ugo pointed out the AirPods pairing experience, Wi-Fi password sharing, Apple Watch pairing, the new phone setup where you do data transfer by just putting your old phone next to your new phone, and on and on, right? I think those are the ones that Ugo called out. But yeah, there's so many Apple onboarding and just small Apple delightful moments like that. Another one that Ugo pointed out was an app called PushFit that tracks your push-ups using the front camera. And I'd also seen this before. Uh, I used an app a long time ago. I can't remember exactly what it's called. It's something like 100 push-ups where the goal is to get to the point where you can do 100 push-ups. And yeah, the, the way it worked is you put your phone on the floor facing up and I think you had to use your nose to like touch the screen or, <sighs> or use the camera to detect proximity or something like that. And that was how it counted a proper form push-up. If you didn't get close enough to the ground, it would beep or do something to alert you that you didn't go deep enough. Mm -hmm. So I guess this is another app that borrowed that same pattern, PushFit. Or maybe PushFit invented that pattern, but I like that. We also heard from Ruby Chen on Twitter. Ruby said, I got an iPad and started learning Procreate recently. When figuring out how to have a reference image side-by-side, -side, I stumbled upon a feature where it shows your front camera feed and you can paint on your face live. 
Definitely a delightful wow moment for me. That's cool. Yeah, I've never seen this. Virtual face painting. We also heard from Raphael Vital, who mentioned the card format when writing in Craft, which is the craft.do docs app. We've talked about this one in the past. That app has ridiculous attention to detail in all their interactions. So I'm, I'm glad Raphael pointed this one out. Uh, Raphael also mentioned there's an app called Height, height.app. And they have this cool interaction on their landing page where they have like a little table of contents on the left rail. And when you hover over it, it sort of expands out and lets you jump around the page really quickly. So I like that pattern. I don't know that that's the first place I've ever seen it. Uh, We'll talk about another example here in a minute on the show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But I do like that pattern overall. So thanks for the recommendations, Raphael. And that was it. Yeah. All good suggestions. All memorable moments. All right. Well, that's it for follow-up. Marshall, main topic time. I thought this week we could do just a little bit of a a, a grab bag, uh, a volume three of our news desk. Yeah, welcome to the news desk. We're your hosts, and we're going to talk about just a few random things that we've noticed in the last couple of weeks. All right. Yeah. Today... I've got a few items. This first one I sent to you. I saw it on the old Twitters and uh-huh. sent it your way. And I thought it was pretty interesting. We, we just mentioned it before as far as like the left-hand navigation goes. But uh, Stripe's new press website is pretty amazing. I want to say it's one of the best websites. <laughs> I mean, pretty good, yeah. So for people who haven't seen it, we'll, we'll call it the URL, press.stripe.com. Maybe... Listeners, close your eyes while Marshall paints a story in Ah. your brain for people who don't have aphantasia. Uh, Tell me why this website is so interesting. Okay, well, it might sound lame at first. When I first saw the URL, I was like, what is this, like a press kit from Stripe? I'm just going to look at resources or something. But no, it is press as in printed paper press, right? So it's a bunch of books, and the way they're presented initially is spine first, horizontal, and a, and a vertical stack, right? And as you scroll down the list, there's parallax, so you at the bottom you see a little bit of the top of the cover, and as it moves towards the top of the page, you see the bottom cover. And when you click on one, it rotates in three dimensions, and each of these books, these hardcover books, is... Fully rendered, it even has like the little dip next to the spine, you know, where the cover bends. And it reacts as you scroll down the website. It reacts to your cursor as you move it around. It kind of always faces it, but you can rotate it around. And on the left side is a fluid, I don't know how to describe this. I guess a, a fluid table of contents where horizontal lines expand in kind of a sine wave to wherever your cursor is. And a label appears next to the line that your cursor is over and you can jump to that book. I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this, Brian. <laughs> Does this make no, no, sense? no. This is it's it's fine. There's that same table of contents pattern we were we were talking about earlier with height. I would say this one is almost smoother, and the sine wave is a good way to describe it because it's not linear. I'm sitting here staring at the width of the the bars on the table of contents changes you hover and go up and down them, but they change their width non-linearly. So there's like a fall off to how wide a line changes. This one people will have to play with. Go to press.stripe.com in your browser and, and mouse over that. It's really uh, responsive, though. I, I was looking at it on my old computer, my old MacBook, and it was running great. It was very smooth. No scroll jacking. It didn't feel bad. It was really good. Well, here's one thing, Marshall, I think you missed, which is 
So you can hover over the book and it sort of responds to your mouse as you hover over it. But you can also click and drag and rotate the book in 3D and play with it in 3D space. Oh, yeah. I, th I thought I mentioned that. But yeah, 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 definitely. Also, and I was doing this all from memory. I, I closed my eyes as well oh. and described it. So, <laughs> Wow, you did pretty good. Okay. Thanks. Um, here's what I don't know how the fuck they did this. If you're on the website now, I think the best example to show this effect is the book called The Big Score, The Billion Dollar Story of Silicon Valley. Okay, so it has sort of a matte navy blue book binding, but it has sort of a holographic shiny orange circuit board printed onto the front. And as you click and drag and manipulate this book in 3D, that holographic part is actually shiny. Yeah. It's specularity map or whatever. Yeah. How the fuck did they do this? Well, it reminds me of the uh, Apple card. Uh -huh. It has the kind of holographic foil on it. So it uh -huh. uses the accelerometer to change the rainbow color of those dots. Yeah, it's like that, but so, I don't know. They're doing some crazy things here. I haven't right-click inspected yet, but they must be doing something. It's got to be like a WebGL or something. It's really, really impressive and smooth and performant. But other details, I mean, the colors that they use for the books and the transitions between each book as you scroll, they also actually have a film at the end. So if you are on the index page, they call it the bookshelf. They have a film, and if you get down to the film, well, you can't have a book that rotates in 3D. So what they have is like a a movie poster, and it starts out folded, yeah. and as you scroll, it sort of flattens out almost it's like an accordion. So it flattens out the accordion to reveal the film poster. But the film poster has like little sheens on the creases as well. Yeah. So... There's As you, yeah, it, uh, there's just so many little details and the colors, the type, the animations, the performance. This is a very, very impressive website. I think this is a case study material or, or research material for anyone who's ever wanting to look at at least certainly 3D objects on oh, the yeah. web. This is really impressive. Yeah, I, I think the only thing that bothered me about this site is that poster moment at the bottom like once the poster fully expands there's a little like hitch that i mean i think it's mathematically correct but it feels like a little hitch like a little bump as you're scrolling down when it goes from the poster expanding to kind of the bottom footer layer going over the poster if i remember correctly but i remember there being like a hitch as you scroll smoothly down everything is so smooth all the way down and then once the new layer takes over it's like a little, little i don't know mm. That's the only thing that bothered me about the entire website. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a very small thing to bother you. Yep. One thing. Cool. Well, uh, we highly encourage people to check this website out. Very inspiring stuff. All right. Next on the news desk, Marshall. So I was out for a week, and when I got back last night, turned on the Apple TV, and I guess I had received the new Apple TV OS update. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you'll remember, they recently released a new controller and the new controller has the sort of donut scroll wheel, right? Mm -hmm. But also the D-pad buttons on each side. And part of the tvOS update on the actual player UI. So you're watching a video and you sort of tap or, or press the middle button, you open a menu and it brings you to the UI where you can you know, scrub forward and backwards, you can manipulate subtitles or, or go to different chapter markers, that kind of stuff. That UI is totally busted if you have the old remote. It was really fascinating and frustrating last night. So I, I spin up the new UI, 
the update turned off my preferences for subtitles, so I'm going to turn subtitles back on. And to get to the new subtitles UI, it used to be that you just swipe down on the trackpad to pull that UI in from the top. Well, that's gone now. Now there's like a little subtitles icon that sits above the player progress track. And so you have to go up from the the progress track to get to the, the row of buttons, one of which is that subtitle option. But as soon as you go up, if it detects even the faintest like micrometer of horizontal tracking, it will assume that you're trying to scrub because there's no D-pad, right? There's no up click, left click, right click. So you have to swipe and the slightest bit of horizontal swipe just assumes you're scrubbing. So it took me, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight tries to perfectly swipe my finger up so that it went to the the row of buttons instead of scrubbing. So I don't know. I just wanted to talk about this. I thought it was really interesting where the OS makes total sense for the new remote, but now all the people stuck with the older mode, I think are going to have this really frustrating and confusing experience where things have changed and the old input mechanism fundamentally doesn't work with what they had in mind for how people should navigate. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, actually I have the new remote and I turned off the touch ability of it. Like I really liked the swipe ability of the first remote, or I guess it's the second one, the Siri remote. And when the new donut one came out, I was like, oh sweet. I can have the best of both worlds. I can have a clickable trackpad and a swipey trackpad. Nope. Uh, turn it all off. It's just click only because it misinterprets swipes all the fucking time and it became a nightmare yeah. to use. So like, I can't imagine trying to do that with swipes. Luckily, now I just hit up on the D-pad and I'm done with it. But now that's really frustrating for you because you can't scrub through a long list quickly. Is that correct? Uh, there's still like click and hold. Oh. To, to go through click <laughs> okay. or just like, you know, sure. Uh, you know, the trade off of that, like, <laughs> that's an easy trade off to make given all the frustration I was having just in normal journeys to, to try Fair and enough. get through without yeah. doing the wrong thing. I don't know what the solution is here, but change is hard. I guess I miss and am, am used to and miss the old design here for, for the actual sort of player UI. But I do think, and this is generally a problem with designing any sort of interface where you can have horizontal and vertical scrolling interactions at the same time, where you actually need to do some, I guess, math to decide if the x-axis scrubbing is sort of past a certain threshold where you could infer that it's intended as a horizontal scrub instead of a vertical scroll. Because, you know, vertical scroll, your your thumb rotates at an angle, so it's always going to have some slight offset there. Oh, man, this is always my problem with uh, Katamari. You ever play that game? Katamari no. Damashi? Mm-mm. Anyways, there's a, there's a PlayStation game where you're rolling a big ball of stuff, and as you roll over other stuff, it makes the ball bigger as you pick up stuff. Anyways, uh-huh. the way you control that game is it's PlayStation, so there's the two analog sticks. You have mm-hmm. to push both of them forward. Or, you know, You pull the left one back and push the right one forward. You'll turn left, vice versa. But instead of pushing both forward, I was always kind of pushing both in towards the center a little bit. Like that's the natural direction that your thumb wants to move in. Perfectly vertical and horizontal swiping is very difficult. It's really hard. You know what this reminds me of is, okay, let me see if I can describe this interface for you and you can picture what I'm talking about. Okay, so imagine you have a dropdown and the dropdown has some menu items that open sub dropdowns, okay? One of those menu items opens a sub dropdown that has a lot of sub items. Let's say you want to mouse from 
the first menu item that has exposed. This is a cascading menu you're talking about. Where yes, thank okay. you. Yeah. But you want to mouse down to say the last item in the sub menu. Well, in order to do that, your mouse is going to sort of cross this little triangle threshold of the original drop-down menu. And if you've ever used a website where leaving that initial menu items sort of hover area closes the sub-menu, it's really frustrating because then what you have to do is you have to like sort of hover over it and perfectly go to the right and get your mouse over the sub-menu. Yeah, and then you go down. What this reminds me of is I think Amazon a long time ago, I can try and dig this up. They wrote a post about how they fix this where they actually do some pretty crazy math like trigonometry or something where they will draw an invisible triangle between the original menu item and the bottom of the sub menu and any mouse movement in that invisible triangle will sort of persist the sub menu remaining open so that you don't have that annoying closing if you just are off by a pixel or something. Yeah. I'll try and find a link to to that case study. I, I, I learned a lot from that, and I think it's pretty hard to get that right. So anyways, all comes back to the Apple TV. While we're talking about cascading menus, I think in maybe Big Sur they fixed this, but it used to be that if you clicked just off of a menu item, kind of like on a border between two menu items, if there was a, a divider, it would do nothing and close the menu. Do you remember this? <laughs> No, that's really annoying though. Yeah, and it was like that for years and years, and I think they fixed it a couple of years ago. So now it just doesn't do anything, but it doesn't close the menu. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying it now. <laughs> yeah, hilarious. Menus are tough. Let's keep going, Marshall. So I think this was at this point maybe two weeks ago. Figma introduced a new behavior for pasting, and I don't know what the hell they changed. Can you describe this? No. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I thought you knew. No, I mean, I know that they. Here's the thing is I don't it doesn't feel like it works the way that they said it works. Okay, say more, say more. Okay, so there's like paste in place and paste instances or like paste like swap paste. I don't know. I, there's so many different ones and they don't exactly map to what I remember from Sketch, but it's been so long since I used Sketch that chasing that dragon doesn't even like work for any, me anymore because I'm so used to what Figma does now. So what uh-huh. I've done is I just found the paste over the current thing, whatever one that that's called. And I remapped it to the old <laughs> command shift oh, no. V because uh-huh. that's what my hand does now, right? And that's what my brain, how my brain thinks of it. I still use command V when I don't want to do that. And I think I mapped the other one to command option shift V or something. But like the main one I use is the thing I have selected, paste this thing either right on top of it, zero, zero, top left corner aligned, or if it's in an auto layout, paste it like right above this thing, right? But don't replace it. Don't. Don't put it inside of the thing that I have selected. Like put it at the same level. And that mm-hmm. so far has meant command shift V in my brain. And I'm not going to try and fight it. So I'm just going to roll with these punches, remap it and continue going. It reminds me a lot of, I mean, command shift V is a useful keyboard shortcut generally outside of Figma as well. It's paste without styles. Right. right. Yeah. And I was reading at one point somebody like if they were copying text out of, say, Microsoft Word that was formatted with some bold and italics or underline, they would actually just go and paste it into their URL bar and then copy and paste it back out to get sort of the unformatted version. But anyways, command shift V is the shortcut to do that. So if anyone didn't know, command shift V, paste unstyled. And that's kind of how I always thought about it is like command V should remember its local 
offset from where I copied it from. So if I copied it from a parent where it's 200 down and 200 over from the top left of that parent and as a child, when I paste it into a new parent, it should paste that 200, 200, right? Uh-huh. But if I command shift V, that says ignore that offset, just put it on top of whatever I have selected right now. And that yeah, always that made sense. sense to me, right? That yeah. makes sense in my head, yeah. So the new thing, like I haven't used the the swap paste or whatever it is that I've, I've played around with it to know that it is an option. I just haven't had the use for it yet. I'm sure the day that I do need to use it, I'll be very happy that it exists. But so far, I haven't really used it. I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure it out like everybody else. Maybe someone <laughs> okay, else could cool. explain it to me. But it's still working. Like with the remap, like I can still do everything that I wanted to do before and it's just fine. So uh, for people who want to remap, how did you do that? Oh, I did it in Keyboard Maestro, which is a mm. paid app. But past I, cool thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, long ago, past cool thing. I think it's 15 bucks or something, 20 bucks. I don't know. It's not cheap, but it's super powerful if you want to set up macros or keyboard shortcuts for any app and you know slice and dice it a million different ways. It's pretty awesome. Cool. But I think you could probably just do it, if you have the desktop app, you could probably just do it in the keyboard shortcuts and system preferences. That's true. Although that interface to set up custom keyboard shortcuts, it sucks. You like literally have to type exactly the the menu item name and then like do the greater than sign. You Here's my, here's my biggest problem with the keyboard shortcuts built into macOS is you can't reorder them in the list. They go in the order that you added them. So... Uh-huh. They don't clump nicely. So when I go back uh-huh. looking for something, like, do I have a shortcut for this? Like, what was that? It's just impossible to read it in the list. You have to go through one by one. This one? No. This one? No. We should maybe do a future episode about custom keyboard shortcuts we have because I have a ton that I've found insanely helpful. Just little things like I have remapped a hyphen and then the greater than sign will be replaced with the Unicode arrow symbol pointing to the right and then I have the same for an arrow pointing to the left so it's really easy to type clean arrows uh have a bunch of emoji replacements have things like I do cmd semicolon replaces with the apple command icon ah so uh, yeah, all right all right these are good save some for the, for the okay okay episode. future future keyboard yeah, yeah. all right uh let's do one more news desk this one is the least design related but there's something in here about uh, placeholder text. Okay, so Marshall, did you watch Squid Game? Sure did, okay. along with everybody else, I think. Along with, yeah, like 100 million people around the world. Okay, so in Squid Game, there's a scene where uh, the main character is presented with a business card that has a phone number on it, and the creators of Squid Game thought that the phone number was not a real phone number. Turns out it's a real phone number. And so people just started calling that number and it just went to some guy. Like eight six seven five three oh nine, Brian. Eight six seven five three oh nine. Uh-huh. And so now Netflix is having to release an edited version of Squid Game where they remove the phone number from <laughs> from the business card. What do they do instead? Is it like they, an email address or something? They, or? Maybe they blur it or something. Yeah. I just think this is hilarious, but it does, maybe the design angle is the placeholder that you use, the the default text you use really matters. You know, like a lot of people might, if you have like a placeholder name, you might do like John Smith or something like that. But if you do any other name or like an avatar, it might end up being a real person, right? Just law of large numbers, your defaults might actually map to someone's real identity or email or phone number or whatever it might be. 
And so you got to be really, really careful here. I, and so this I is saw why this every one. movie says the events of this film are completely fictional. Any resemblance to actual people named this stuff is a coincidence, blah, 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 right? Like they have to do that because people will be like, you made this movie about me. Give me money. Yeah. But the other thing is we also live in a culture where if you see a URL, a phone number, or an email address in a TV show, it's almost safe to assume every time that it's an Easter egg. And if you actually pursue that rabbit hole, you will be rewarded in some way, right? Like you will be discover some secret or some hidden lore behind the show. And so I think that's what everyone just assumes, right? Oh, phone number in this sort of thriller TV show. I bet if I call that, I'll learn something about the show. Well, uh, only so- if it's not a 555. And I don't know what other countries do, but in America, we... I, th- I think there's a law, basically, like if you're going to release entertainment and it goes through like all of the processes like to be rated and all that stuff. One of the things you have to do is if you're showing a phone number, you have to like get a fake number. And uh, there's a there's a whole group that manages this thing and, and doles out numbers so that different shows aren't using the same number. But if you notice, <laughs> like most of the numbers are like five, five, five. One O number number. Oh, I never know. Wow. Okay. We've been watching, was it the blacklist or something like that? And I noticed that every time they said a phone number, it was one O something, something, or maybe it was, um, criminal minds. Anyways, there's even a joke about this in last action hero that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where he's like, it's very meta. The, the kid is trying to convince him that he lives in a movie and that no, this is real. Like all the numbers start with five, five, five. That means there can only be like 10,000 numbers if everyone starts with 555. And he said, that's what area codes are for. Anyways, there's a there's a reason that we have these fake numbers in movies is because people will try and fucking call them. And if you try to call any 555 number, it won't complete. Oh, fascinating. Love it. All right. So uh, design lesson, be careful with your placeholder text. There you go. <laughs> Sorry. Tangent. All right. Cool things? Cool things. You go first. Marshall. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Apple Maps has gotten pretty good. Yeah. If you live in San Francisco, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's major metropolitan cities. I've been using it a lot recently since the iOS 15 update because that introduced a lot of new features and visual overhauls. And it's just really good. I thought I'd maybe, I don't know, I don't have a complete list of all the interesting things that that I found particularly useful. But what I did want to call out is the ridiculous amount of attention to detail with landmark iconography. So even just scrubbing around San Francisco, they have custom landmark iconography for Oracle Park, the Bay Bridge, Palace of the Fine Arts, the Transamerica Pyramid, Coit Tower, Golden Gate Bridge, uh, Sutro Tower, like they all have custom illustrations. And it's not just San Francisco. This is like most big cities. And I just find that attention to detail and level of customization to be, I don't know, equal parts insanity and totally wonderful, delightful sort of craftsmanship. So I don't know. It's a Maps app, but somehow Apple Maps feels like the the correct implementation of a Maps app where Google Maps, in my view, has lost the plot a little bit. Google Maps these days certainly has its advantages with, uh, I think it's better at traffic routing, but it also just has a whole, I don't know, kitchen sink of features with restaurants and saved routes and contributions and ratings. And there's just like a whole lot of UI 
Apple Maps is just better looking. So that's my cool thing for people who haven't tried in a while. It's worth a revisit. Yeah. And if you live in one of those major metropolitan cities or if you just navigate there, I would recommend zooming in. That's the thing that did it for me is like accurate sidewalk and crossing and turn lane placement, like all of the details down at the street level that matter if you're a pedestrian of like knowing where you can cross the street or knowing how many turn lanes there are and which direction they go. All of that stuff is lined up in Dude, detail and accurate as far as I can tell. Tree, tree placement, placement. Yeah. Tree size. I mean, it's fucking nuts. And that's all not even to mention what happens when you go into 3D mode. Some of the 3D details on landmarks. Uh, so we were just in LA and the 3D detail of the Hollywood sign and features like that are really impressive. I'm looking at the Golden Gate Bridge now and it has fucking like under lighting and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really, really good. Cool. So that's my cool thing. How about you? Cool thing. I have a hardware cool thing. It's actually two cool things put together as one cool thing. So I got a new iPhone, Brian, new iPhone 13 Pro. So bigger than my mini that I've had for the last year. And I really like it, but it's much bigger and it's actually a lot heavier than my mini. So I've been having trouble holding it or like shifting my hand position around to like be able to tap on stuff without dropping this thing. So I was like, maybe I should get a pop socket, but I use the MagSafe to charge every night. And I'm like, well, is there a place I could even put the pop socket in the back that it wouldn't interfere with, you know, charging, but also would be useful. So what I found was two things. So regular old pop socket, I just got a you know matte black pop socket, but I stuck that to a MagSafe plate, basically. It's a circular magnetic metal plate that's kind of made for this purpose that you can just easily pop on and off with MagSafe, but it holds it on there nice and strong, so it actually functions for the pop socket purpose. But then every night when I want to put it on my little Belkin charger stand thing, I just pop off the pop socket, collapse it, and and put it on the stand. And the nice thing about the pop socket too is even when it's collapsed, the thing that always bothers me about iPhones is the exposed camera. And I don't like setting it down on a surface and knowing that those the glass on those lenses is just scraping against whatever dust is on that surface. Uh-huh, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So yeah. the nice thing about this is even when it's collapsed, it's set up from the level of the surface that it'll be sitting on. So nothing touches except for the back of the pop socket. Mm. Yeah, that's nice. That's one of the things that's giving me pause about updating to the new phones. I'm on the 12 Pro Max, and if you have a case on, the lip around the camera bump will prevent it from rocking. Like It actually gives you a flat surface and prevents the camera lens from touching whatever your phone is resting on. But on the new phones, even with the sort of first-party cases, I think the camera bumps are now so big that they protrude past the case yeah, they're like bug so, eyes. There's a there's an, yeah. a square extension from the case just for the housing, and then each lens sticks out another millimeter or so. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyways, okay, so base plate, pop socket, we'll have links to Amazon products in the show notes for people who want to recreate this setup. Yeah, it was like 25 bucks total. One thing was 10 bucks, the other thing was 15 bucks. Like, pretty reasonable. Easy peasy. All right. Well, this has been episode 415 of the Design Details Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter, as always, at Design Details FM. If you enjoyed this and uh, want to hear more, be sure to jump over to the sidebar. It's available for our supporters on Patreon. The sidebar is a supporter-only segment, double episode every single week. And this week, we're talking about how to remember things. So if you want to get better at remembering things and hear our strategies and 
favorite tools for remembering anything, head on over to patreon.com slash design details. You can get access to the sidebar for just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. All right. That's it. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.